is cool to consider the band this morning leading us in worship. I'm thankful for them, uh, all the different members of the team that, that leads us to the Lord every, every week. Uh, Dennis Posey is back on the keys, did a phenomenal job with that song. He's a drum major this year in his senior year at Taft High. And uh, uh, Jordan Bilardes on the violin. Uh, you know, was also part of our youth group growing up, and uh, now is a young man. He drives the Zamboni for our local Condors. If you ever see him out there, you give him a wave. Um, and, uh, you know, Anna's pregnant with child, and you know, the generations are here thinking about Carl, thinking about the work that God did in his life, and just, just awesome, awesome to see all that God's doing. Uh, continuing our historic church here, 129 years and counting, um, in this new season. It's really exciting. So uh, grab your Bibles with me this morning and turn to the, the letter of James. In the back of your Bible, you'll find it after Hebrews and before First Peter. I encourage you to bring your Bibles with you to church. Um, get familiar with God's Word. Dirty up those pages a little bit. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll uh, keep you from using your phone and feeling tempted to check football scores during service. Um, no, I, I'm thankful for the journey we're on through this letter. It's powerful. Um, God's at work. And just my, my prayer is that he would just continue that work. We're calling this whole series Faith at Work. And uh, today I want to preach James chapter 3, of the second part of verse 5 through 12. And, and really part 2 of an emphasis here in the early part of chapter 3 uh, that I'm calling Faith and Words. We've, we've spent some time looking at faith and works, and specifically now in chapter 3, Faith and Words, part 2. James is continuing that emphasis throughout the whole letter that true saving faith will show itself, reveal itself, evidence itself in ongoing, good, God-honoring works. As we started into chapter 3 last week, we're hearing James emphasize that new life transformation, salvation in Christ will show itself in the way we talk. He's saying that our tongue, our speech, will tell on the spiritual condition of our hearts. So James is emphasizing that living faith shows itself in the works of a controlled tongue that honors God and others. Let's be reminded of what James said in the opening verses that we studied last week. Look with me at chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and driven by strong winds, yet they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things." Pray with me. Father, as we move into the next part of this text, that your holy word would be clearly understood. 
Lord, that we would not long for something that's just emotional or, or, or uh, simple, something that we would hear this morning and just move beyond. Lord, that our, our objective this morning is not to be entertained, uh, but is to, to be sanctified. It is for you to do holy surgery on our lives, that you would not leave us where we were, but take us to new places in our maturity, in our faith, that you would help us to see and savor you all the more, for we exist for you in your holy name. And, and yet every day is war that we want to make it about ourselves. We want to make it about our flesh and our, our, our personal preferences. We want to be Lord of our own lives. Lord, that we more and more, day by day, would truly be living lives that show that you are the Lord of our lives. That, that enjoy serving you as King and making much of your holy name. Do this mighty work in us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. James chapter 3, the second part of verse 5, where we pick up, says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. This is James' way of building on what he said in the first part of the verse. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. The tongue is a small part of the body. Therefore, our view of it is often lacking. We wrongly don't have a view of its overwhelming influence and power. We underestimate it greatly. It seems like a small thing. It's even talked about as a small thing. And we're trained, even from being little kids, to think that our words, which is what the tongue really is symbolizing here, things we say, that our words don't have power and influence. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words can never hurt you. The thought is, don't, don't pay mind to people's words. They're, they're not a big deal. And these are ways that we're taught even to downplay in our minds and in our society the impact and potency of our words. God loves to work in us and he loves us well and, and he's doing that in this text. He's helping to wake us up from this wrong perspective. He's using James' counsel here to help us pay mind to just how potent and volatile our words can be. My father did this for me when growing up. He loved to tell me things that would help me see the power uh, or the strength or, the, or just how volatile something was, especially if it was something that people often underestimated and that I was in jeopardy of underestimating. A couple of examples come to mind. Gasoline. My dad was a 30-year fire captain, Orange County Fire Authority. Um, and so clearly understood how volatile gasoline is. And, and the power of gasoline is not even necessarily in the liquid itself. What makes it so super flammable is the gas vapors it puts off. Any spark or flame within the entire area can create a gasoline bomb. 
So to not understand it rightly is to possibly ruin or lose your life or the lives of someone else. Another example is a chainsaw. Um, he, he did a lot of work with chainsaws in his firefighting career, uh, especially in studying and working through roof entry, rooftop entry for a building that's fully ablaze. Um, he actually wrote the book on some of the techniques used today for rooftop chainsaw roof entry uh, in the earlier part of his career. And so we spent a lot of time as a family in the mountains and thereby cutting wood and just enjoying using that tool. Uh, it was his wedding present to me was my own brand new Husqvarna chainsaw. And the men said, yeah. It was cool. Yeah. When I was younger, though, and learning to use a chainsaw, he helped me understand why you have to wear the right equipment, why it's not cool to not wear the right equipment when using a chainsaw. To the right way to interact with the saw. He, he would describe it as one of the most dangerous tools there is, mostly because of how exposed the high-speed moving chain is. Not just one tooth, but hundreds of teeth moving at high speeds. And literally would teach me that even in the letting go of the trigger, if, if after you let go of the trigger, that chain fell into any part of your body, it's still moving around the blade hundreds of times before it stops. That's after you let go of the trigger. So not to mention what it would do to you when still holding the trigger. Just to, to be aware of that, to, to, to treat this tool, this exposed blade rightly, to protect my, my life and limbs, to give it the respect it was due. This is what James is doing for his beloved family, his blood-bought family in Christ. He's saying, know and understand the potent, dangerous, powerful reality that our words are. The tongue seems small, but it is potent and influential. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. The tongue is like a small fire. Our words are like a small fire. But that little fire is powerful enough to set ablaze an entire forest. Think about that for a moment in relationship to the working of our words. James goes on to define the reach of the tongue, what it's capable of. In verse 6, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. A fire burns things, right? It can be helpful and bring comfort, just like the tongue can be positive and God-honoring, can build people up. But James' emphasis here in verse 6 is the opposite of the comforting effect of fire. He's highly highlighting the destructive effect of fire, the effect that burns things that we love to ashes. He continues to say the tongue is a world of unrighteousness. As we talked last week, the, the work of the flesh is against the fruit of the Spirit. This is a reality for those of us who are saved. There's a battle happening within. The Holy Spirit's on board, and yet we are not perfect until glory, until sin is, is fully removed. And so the Spirit within is at war with the desires of the flesh. Praise God for the Spirit to be at war 
For those who are not saved and set free by the gospel of Christ, those whom the Holy Spirit is not on board, have no war. All you do, according to Scripture, is sin. The work of the tongue at its core is a world of unrighteousness. When the tongue is not tamed or redeemed by the Spirit of God, it is a world of unrighteousness. Think about that. Things that are volatile like this, you lock up. You secure it in a cage. A ravaged animal is not left out to roam and do what it pleases. It's captured. It's caged. It's put away so that it can't hurt or maim or destroy. This is the mindset, church, that we must have of our tongue, of our words. We need to heed James' teaching here. His announcement over the loudspeaker is to say, be aware of your tongue and the damage it can do. God gave us a cage for our tongue. It's called our teeth. He also gave us the ability to open that cage as we will. Therein lies the reason for this teaching. Are you aware of your tongue, of your words? Mindful and alert to their ability to set on fire the world around you? To reveal the depth of unrighteousness of the heart? Some of you might be thinking of flamboyant curse words. Well, that's surely included. I'm talking about just simple words. Little things we would say to demean or cut down or defame or to lie about. Is there a mindfulness and an alertness to the ability to set the world on fire? This is what James is hoping that we see. Look at the second part of verse 6. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. So the tongue is on board. It's in the system of the body, and it's at work all the time. Therefore, it's unbridled harm means damage and impact to the entire body, the entire life. It stains the whole body is the term he uses here. Not even directly, but indirectly. Just like smoke from a bad fire works into all the spaces of the building that the fire itself maybe didn't even get to. But the smoke alone brings ruin and damage and stain. The words we can and do say in sin, in selfishness, in laziness and pride, not only do damage in their direct aim to the direct audience that we give them, 
but in the wake of their presence brings stain to a person's entire life. James continues, setting on fire the entire course of life. See the extent of impact James is showing his listeners. And God is thereby today showing us through his word. I will mention again, James is referencing the untamed sinful use of the tongue. The unrighteous use. All the ways that we can curse or gossip or slander or give false testimony or false accusations. That these words can and do tear apart and destroy lives, families, schools, businesses, churches, and communities. Parents, you have to be in mind, and I pray you are, in the raising of your children, that the thing they did wrong is not all that's at stake in their discipline or in the communicating of what happened. But we must be in tune with their words because lies and manipulations of the truth about what was done wrong reveals potentially a more serious issue than the event itself. And in our parenting, we can't just sweep that aside. I tell my kids all the time, your truth here matters. I'm actually more concerned about your truth right now than what just happened. Why? Because I'm a sinner too. I know that the propensity of, of ourselves is to cover our tail and to, to not like consequences. And so we've got to be aware of that temptation to fulfill the desires of the flesh and to manipulate truth as really a deeper ongoing sign of the condition of our heart. Children in the room, teenagers, know that it is your parents loving you well to fight for these things in the area of truth. I know that myself growing up, praise God, my harshest punishments came not at stupid things I did, but when I lied about those things was my consequences exponentially increased. And my greatest memory of penalty for the things I did wrong in many ways is related to my words and not necessarily even to my actions. This is James' point. Consider for a moment how you have witnessed these things in your everyday lives. Did you grow up in a family or work in an environment or go to a school or maybe were once part of a church where the people there in those circles were loose with their tongue, quick to slander or to gossip or to curse or tear down others. Things, these things were not held accountable. They were allowed to fester. See the wake of their festering as you look back in your family, workplace, school, church experience. Do you remember the wake of hurt and heartache and drama and separation that it created? 
Not only can this affect your own life, as I talked about last week, your career, your family relationships, your marriage, your friendships, but it, it can and does affect other people's lives. Our words matter. The tongue must be bridled and checked. Because if it is not, then we set on fire the entire course of life. This is the ongoing emphasis of King Solomon, deemed one of the wisest people to ever live, in writing the Proverbs. He returns to this point again and again and again. And yes, I'm about to show you a few examples, just a few. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. Things that the Lord hates, a lying tongue. A false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers. Proverbs 10, 19. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs 12, 13. An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous escapes from trouble. Proverbs 12, 17 through 19, a false witness utters deceit, false testimony. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrust. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Proverbs 15, 1 through 2, a soft answer turns away wrath but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of the fools pour out folly. Proverbs 15, 28, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Proverbs 17, verse 9, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends and gossip and slander. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Proverbs 21, 23, whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself, Out of trouble. Proverbs 26.20 For lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. Again and again and again, the man who is considered one of the wisest to live brings warning and exhortation that our words really matter. Setting on fire the entire course of life. Notice the influence of all of this destruction the tongue produces is the point James is making in the close of verse 6. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. The fire that breeds all this heartache and fallout and life ruin is the work of the tongue. But what sets the tongue on fire? What sets the stage for all the sinful things the tongue can 
can and often does do. It's set on fire by hell, James says. Historically, commentators and theologians believe that James is using some license here to reference Satan himself. The great deceiver, the great tempter, the original worker of lawlessness. Sin is the cause of all that offends God and his worthy holiness. Hell is the house where sin earns its payment of eternal wrath. There's an interesting tie to what James is saying here and what Jesus says in a parable he tells in Luke chapter 16, verse 24. I don't have time to get into the whole story, but verse 24 is about... The parable is about a rich man who called out from Hades. And he said this in verse 24. Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and to cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this flame. The impact of sin and our fallenness is great. It earns eternal punishment. The setting on fire of the tongue, the sinful work of the tongue, is truly not only of great impact in this life, but is worthy of eternal punishment in the next. We must see, church, the root of our sin, the motivation of self, the evil in our words, when we are not redeemed by the Spirit of God and sanctified to honor God and others with our words. James doubles down in verse 7 and 8. Look with me. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a reckless, a restless evil full of deadly poison. For centuries, we have seen mankind be able to tame and train the most of wild animals to obey commands and even go so far to perform tricks. Such a sight that people will pay big money to go to a circus or a wild animal park to see incredible, ferocious, dangerous animals up close, to see them tamed, to see them perform tricks, stunts. Notice, James says, no human being can tame the tongue. Why? Because the flesh is enslaved to sin apart from divine intervention and the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome it. Psalm 58.3, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. 
Have you ever marveled at watching a young one that you wrongly would deem innocent in their infancy? Out of nowhere, just speak a lie. Be like, jaw drop. It comes from within. It's not something they have to be taught. It's the work of the flesh. It's the reality of a spiritual condition by which we're dead in sin from conception, as we looked at last week. We are sinners not because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. It is our morally ruined condition that we're each born with that means we cannot truly tame the tongue in our own power. Cannot be tamed by mankind. Titus chapter 1 verse 15, different translation. To the corrupt and the unbelieving, nothing is pure. Their very minds and consciences are corrupted. Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and the very intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continuously. James 3, 8, no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. The words of the unregenerate tongue or the tongue that is still is given to sin is restless. Its song is not God honoring, therefore it's evil. Consider with me just how hurtful and deadly the poison of the tongue is. With the reputations that are ruined, with the words of the gossip. with the character of others that is questioned with the words of the slanderer. The marriages that are wrecked by the words of the temptress. The manipulation of minds by the words of the liar. The hard-earned money that's stolen from the words of the hustler. The trappings under ruin of the words of the tempter. The tearing down of people by the words of the bully. The problem is, this is the natural tendency of the flesh. The sin we are at war with wants to discourage others. Our flesh desires self-exaltation more than anything. So it relishes focusing on others' weaknesses and mistakes and flaws. This is done out of arrogance and pride and envy. It is in our arrogance that we often are guilty of thinking or saying or interpreting negative interpretations or observations of others. Solomon says in Proverbs 18.8, the words of the whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Sin loves gossip. 
It, and this is so rampant in our society that some of our most popular TV shows are built around the display of gossip. Because we are hungry to feast. We're a culture that is constantly plugged into social media and what's trending. And if we're honest, many times what is driving that is a hunger to keep up on the latest gossip. We can often struggle with just the desire to hear gossip or to speak gossip so that we can feel in the know or look like we're in the know. To look like we're important. To build ourselves up by just tearing everyone else down just a little bit. Gossip is not a part of God or His Word, His image, His plan, His salvation. And it should not be a part of His people. Church, we must be oh so mindful of the hypocrisy these things create in our lives. This is James' next point of emphasis. Look at verse 9 and 10. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. With our, with our tongue, we bless God, and we curse those He's created. Verse 10, from the same mouth come blessing and curses. Blessing and cursing. To bless the Lord means to praise Him, to exalt Him, to worship Him. This is why we exist. It's why you're here today. You are not here for yourself. You exist for God and His glory and His purposes for your life. You are the clay and He is the potter. David says it so well in his prayer in 1 Chronicles 29, 10-13. David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. In the Psalms, David cries out in Psalm 50, verse 1 and 2 and verse 6, Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen? Our very lives exist to bring praise and blessing to God, and yet in our sin, we do the opposite. You use the same mouth that we use to praise God to curse others. 
others whom he has created in his image. And some will even go so far in deep moments of dark sin and pure selfishness to curse God. Even those closest to Jesus fought this battle. Peter, in Matthew 16, 16, replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And later, when looking out for his own flesh, in Matthew 26, 74, he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. Let me ask you, do you use words to build others up at times and then also to tear them down at times? Do your words make much of Christ at times and then instead honor yourself or his creation instead of him at times? For all too many, this is a sad reality, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And so here it is. Track with me. All of what James has done in the early part of chapter 3 builds to this point. His main point being that faith will be at work. Therefore, James is saying, Church, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. He says, how can this be? How is it that for many from the same mouth come blessing and cursing? In verse 10, he says, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. He's talking to Christian brothers and sisters, people who have been redeemed. They're no longer enslaved to their sin. They've been freed, made new in Christ. The Holy Spirit's on board to fight the flesh. He spent all this time so far in chapter 3 pointing out the awful, detrimental reality of our unbridled, unregenerate tongue. But in Christ we are born again. We're given the power of the Holy Spirit. We bear the name of Christ in all we do and say. Christianity is built on the understanding that in Christ, we are very different. We are intimately and internally united before the cross. And so we no longer slander each other for our differences because the cross brings us all to our knees. We don't lie to gain ground. There's no ground to be gained. It's one for us at the cross. We're humbled by the cross. We do not lie to gain something we don't have or to protect something that we can lose because we have Christ who is all satisfying who can never lose us Jesus makes the 
redemption of our tongue possible. It is the holy power of the Holy Spirit that redeems our words. James said it. No human being can tame the tongue. Remember verse 8? This is true. But hear me clearly today. You can't tame your tongue. But Jesus can. You can't tame your tongue. But Jesus can. For Jesus said in Luke 18, 27, what is impossible with man is possible with God. He has made His chosen people new in Christ. Hear the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God is reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. That's our role in Christ, is reconciliation, not gossip and slander and lies. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen. This changes us, church. It empowers us to put off the old, and to live in the new. Colossians 3, 1-10. Paul says to the church in Colossae, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with Him in glory. So put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked, practiced, with no leash when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Church, we must see what James is saying. He's saying, in Christ, the sinful work of the tongue cannot be, should not be. Your faith should be at work. Sanctification should be at work. And that growth, that maturity should show evidence in your life. So stop cursing and then saying, oh, but my daddy, that, that's the daddy of the old life. You have a new daddy. Amen? Amen. 
You have a Father in heaven who's redeemed you, who's put his name on you. You belong to him, so stop claiming that you belong to the old daddy. Let's live who we are in Christ. Let's fight that sin. Let's go to our knees in prayer. Let's bring forth and call near the body of Christ for accountability and for prayer. Our our faith must be at work in the use of our tongue, in the words we speak. If you are of faith, then the old sinful, untamed, enslaved tongue has been redeemed. It has been made new. If this is so, it will no longer produce the fruit of the dead tree. James uses these illustrations to drive his point home in verse 11 and 12. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh water and salt water? The answer is no. The same spring does not issue two totally different kinds of water. If you are truly of faith, that faith will be at work in your words. Like I said last week, are we talking about perfection? Meaning I will never, ever say anything that's sinful. We're not talking about that. But we're talking about the practice. The living there. The fact that every time you seem to get into a tussle with your loved ones, you go there. That's practice. And something really goes foul in your day, you, you unleash and you go there. That's practice. He doubles down using the illustration of Christ from Matthew 6, seven sixteen, saying, James 3, verse 12, Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? The answer is no. Returning to the water illustration, he says, Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is James' point to the perfect work of God and the reality of those whom he has redeemed. God will not give new life to someone to watch them then return to their old position. He does not free the enslaved one to then allow them to go back and put the shackles back on. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Not maybe. Indeed. John 8.36 If He has given you the Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit will produce the fruit of the Spirit. Our faith will show itself in God-honoring works and words. Out of the life that He has redeemed, your words will honor God and others. Therefore, we're no longer lazy or selfish or sinful. We no longer gossip or slander or tempt or curse or lie or bully with our words. Instead, we outdo one another in showing honor. We build up. We don't tear down. We let the fruit of our lips be life-giving and not life-stealing. I pray that we would make war with our flesh and truly consider how to make the most of our words in the power of Jesus. 
Let us mature in these things as we look to make much of Christ our Lord and be a joy around other people as they discover that their name is safe in our mouths. That you are trustworthy and one who will encourage instead of tear down. That when you speak, gracious words come out. Kind words come out. Loving words, true words, thoughtful words, holy words, sensitive words, edifying words, gentle words, comforting words, words of blessing, words of humility, words of wisdom, words of thanksgiving. Speak unselfish words, peaceful words. The only way you can do all this is to be under the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, your action is not pull up your bootstraps and just go work hard. It's to press into Christ. We must encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, Hebrews 3.13. Is today today? Then encourage one another. A major point of gospel application that you must have before leaving a sermon like this. Because some of you are tempted to hear this and to think, I've got to just try harder to be whom God has saved me to be. To pull up my bootstraps and go to work. It's up to me. If this is you, and that's the way you're thinking, stop, stop, stop. That is works righteousness. That is a weight on your shoulders that you will not be able to bear. Don't miss this point that I want to make in closing. If God has given you saving faith, then God will produce in you the fruit of the Spirit. It is not the fruit of your hard work. It is the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So understand, a Christian, Christians, you, you don't grow fruit. A branch doesn't grow anything. The vine grows fruit. Through the branch. Christian growth, the growth we need to be focused on leaving this place is not out. It is in. Your focus, your your work is to know Christ more. To dive into His Holy Word. To spend more time in prayer with Him. To gather around people who are of the Word and in the Word, walking with Christ. To know them. to To no longer just be a church attender. To, to no longer be that branch that kind of like hangs out with the vine. To, to dive deep into the vine. I am the vine, you are the branches, he says. The clear and often overlooked point there is that when we're redeemed into the body of Christ, that is not a journey you do alone. The understanding is you have the body of Christ to do this with you. To be known. And praise God this is happening in many of your lives as you're 
reconnecting with church or making changes to a church, you feel like you're really going to be known and held accountable and taught the word. But that that would help you move beyond just attending. You would, you would dive in. You would want to know truly my days, my, my hours, my relationships. What does this look like? To really begin to see a redemption of my life so that my press is into Christ. That our roots are deepening into the vine. God does that transformation in us to produce the fruit of the Spirit. So you don't leave her going, I need to just go be a better Christian and watch my words. That's works righteousness. You don't have the power to do that. We need to delve into Christ. The fruit of the Spirit is produced in our lives. Transformation belongs to God. That's why all praise be to God. A famous Christian once said, Christ says, give me all. I've not come to torment your natural self. I've come to kill it. Hand over the entire natural self, all the desires, those which you think are innocent as well as the ones you think are wicked, the whole outfit. And I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. Our focus must be on Christ, not fruit production. The way to bridle your tongue, the way to redeem your words is God. It is Christ at work in you. The Holy Spirit is the one who grows the fruit. That's why it's called the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of Josh's hard work. <laughs> Jesus said in Matthew seven seventeen through 18, Every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. May it be so in our lives and in the lives of our church that our faith, if true saving faith, sanctifies our words to growingly honor and glorify God and be less and less a practice of the old self. Amen? Amen. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time together to worship your holy name, to study your written word. What a blessing it is to have your written word, to be able to study it and know it, to be able to, to understand these truths. There are so many things calling for our attention this week, God, maybe even today, this weekend, temporary things that will come and go. Who cares? And yet the work you're doing on a Sunday morning and the preaching of your word, the singing of the psalms and the hymns to your holy name, the work you're doing in, in our marriages, in our, in our families, in our lives, in our children, this is what matters. This is our greatest priority of our week. That it would not just be a one and done on a Sunday morning, but that we would hunger for you and your word minutes, hours from now. That there'd be no reason why Monday we're not in your word and Tuesday we're not in your word and we're in prayer, we're walking and talking with you because we are desperate for you to work in and through us. That our cling would be to the vine and not all the things calling for our attention and our cling outside of you. Lord, you have done a mighty work, have saved and set us free 
in tenderness you've done this. You, you've taken filthy sinners, wicked, deserving, guilty people, deserving of judgment and wrath, and you have set us free, and you've given us a testimony in Christ that we would make much of your holy name. And I pray it be so. For anyone here today that has not repented of sin to trust their lives to you, I pray it be so. I pray that the reign of their own lordship of their life ends today. Not because they figured it all out, but because finally they see their desperation for you, the living God, to have the reign of their lives, to be the one to define who they are, what they are, and what they shall be and do. May it be so. Send us out into the streets of Bakersfield and beyond today, this week, for all that you intend. In Jesus' name we pray.